Meet Reed Lance Rosenthal, rancher, number one best-selling, award-winning author, and unabashedly, unapologetically on the right side of the outstanding issues of our generation. But don't try to fence him in. Sometimes his positions will surprise you, because Reed is definitely his own man, with his own opinions. You might love him, you might hate him, but you won't be able to stop listening. Step over to the right side with Reed. Howdy listeners, it's Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio, coast to coast, the Gulf to Canada, and around the globe. Thanks for listening. Yep, a pile of stuff happening, right? I mean, like mounds and piles of steaming fill-in-the-blank stuff happening. And you know, I got a bunch of emails over the last several weeks, and I'll just summarize them. I hear you folks. I hear your pain over rat-a-tat-tat. Basically, they said, you know, you're always promising this big rat-a-tat-tat toward the end of the show, and by the time you get there, you can only do like three or four little nuggets of rat-a-tat-tat because you're out of time. So we want more rat-a-tat-tat. We love rat-a-tat-tat. Well, today you're going to get it. We're going to do the history of abortion and what Americans think, according to a whole bunch of polls, because, you know, this is all the stuff that's not being covered in this hysteria on both sides of the aisle over Roe v. Wade and its overturn. Folks, this is all hype. This is all distraction. Okay, what's really going on is you have a globe on the precipice of nuclear war or at least armed conflicts among superpowers. You have a $123.5 trillion negative net worth in the United States. You have rampant inflation. You have 24% plus unemployment. You know, go to shadowstats.com. I keep telling you for the real story. And you have a host of other problems going on. This is the glittering quarter held out here to distract you from the $100 bill on your right side. But I think it's very important that you understand the history of abortion in the United States, what Americans really think about it, because everything you hear on MSM is a bunch of contrived nonsense. And I think it will make you and help you understand really what this question is about. And then I'm going to do very briefly, I promise, we're going to have a big rat-a-tat-tat. I'm going to bring you the opposite side of the coin on the real estate market. You know, I gave you the history of real estate boom and busts over the last few weeks. If you didn't listen, on the right side, radio.com. Plug in those shows. They will help you in decisions that you have to make about your personal real estate. And I'm going to bring you a contrarian view today because that's my job. Bring you the stuff, the real stuff, and you put it in your mixing bowl and decide what kind of cake you want to bake. And then we're going to have, yes, we're going to have a huge rat-a-tat-tat. I mean a huge huge rat-a-tat-tat and we're going to cover all sorts of stuff court cases and illegal aliens voting and you know covid the latest covid stuff that's coming out in studies which you know the msm i mean they won't even touch crickets right (laughs) they're not going there all right and that's going to be our show so you know your hayseed in wyoming is reporting to you and let me start off with a little rant story so The other day, we have uh, this one pond. It feeds a pivot, which is a big circular irrigation, mechanical irrigation delivery device. And then it also feeds a ditch. That's a flood irrigation delivery system that goes around what we call the house field. And I wasn't satisfied with how much water was in this ditch. So I monkeyed around with the culvert that leads to the ditch. It's an outlet from the pond. And I adjusted the plate, which kind of 
controls the amount of flow that comes out and I played around with the valve to the pivot and you know I got a whole bunch of water going to the ditch well lo and behold I got so much water going to the ditch that at its opposite end which comes out on a ranch road suddenly there was like gushes of water running down the road you know it was too much there was a reaction and let me tell you kind of the common sense conclusion that all this brings to me Whenever you put or have too much of something, there's going to be a reaction to it. It may be physical, it may be emotional, it may be mental, but it will be a reaction. When you overplay your hand, when you put too much water in the ditch, the ditch is going to overflow and folks are going to shut down the water. Or you're going to have to shut down the water. In any event, too much will never continue. It's not sustainable. And that is what you have going on with this whole abortion thing and the trans thing, and the LGBTQ queer thing, and the kids confused about their hormonal direction thing. When the left pushes too much, there is a reaction. Let's make that reaction clear and unequivocal in November, shall we, folks? I hope that you are organized. I hope that you are involved. I hope that you have talked with the election officials in your county and that you are enrolled as a poll watcher, as a should we say, eyes on fraud deflector. This is critical. There's only one way they can win this elections. Well, there's two ways. The Republicans can blow it. You know, that's one way. But the other way is fraud. And it's up to us to make sure that that doesn't happen. On the rightsideradio.com, go to the Take Action page. Give to your candidate of choice. Get involved in this election. Organize your friends. And by the way, make sure you are registered to vote and make sure you vote. It kind of starts there, doesn't it? If you're not registered to vote today, after this show, get registered and make your plans. All right, let's start with the founder's quote, because that's what we always do. And this is another one from Thomas Paine, the mentor of the founders. But I think it is apropos for today's times and certainly the stories I'm going to be bringing you today. Men who look upon themselves born to reign and others to obey soon grow insolent Selected from the rest of mankind, their minds are early poisoned by importance, and the world they act in differs so materially from the world at large that they have but little opportunity of knowing its true interests, and when they succeed to the government are frequently the most ignorant and unfit of any throughout the dominions. Well, (laughs) boy, we're seeing that in spades, aren't we? The history of abortion and what Americans think about it, and then I'm going to tell you the rest of the story on Roe v. Wade, which nobody's really mentioning, of course. So first of all, the abortion rate in the United States declined from a peak in 1980 of about 30 per thousand women to 11.3 per thousand women by 2018. Okay, 77% of abortions were performed at nine weeks or less gestation, and 92.2% of abortions were performed at 13 weeks or less gestation. There are a bunch of cases, by the way, over and above and aside from, but directly related to Roe v. Wade, which nobody talks about. One of them is Planned Parenthood versus Casey. That was a Supreme Court ruling that a law cannot place legal restrictions imposing an undue burden, quote, for the purpose or effect of placing a substantial obstacle in the path of a woman seeking an abortion of a non-viable fetus. In 2021, the Women's Health Protection Act, which, by the way, would codify abortion rights into federal law, 
was introduced by a legislator by the name of Judy Chu. The bill passed the House of Representatives, but was rejected by the Senate. You don't think the Senate's important, huh, folks? Oh, boy. Look, abortion has existed in America since the beginning, since colonization by the Europeans. In the early 1800s, methods were published for accomplishing abortion early in pregnancy. And under English common law, abortion after quickening, as it was called then, which was the start of a fetal movement's usually 15 to 20 weeks after conception, was not allowed. But, without written statutes, the rules were, shall we say, hazy. When the United States gained its independence, most of the states, the colonies, continued to apply that old English common law to abortion. It's kind of amazing because some of the blue states, like Connecticut, it was the first U.S. state to outlaw medicinal abortion after quickening in 1821. Ten of the other 26 states at that time created similar restrictions over the next 20 years. New York, which has an outrageous abortion law now, New York made post-quickening abortions a felony and pre-quickening abortions a misdemeanor in 1829. Gee, how the worm turns, huh? A lot of the anti-abortion sentiment to begin with was driven by doctors. Yes, male doctors. And it was because of their Hippocratic Oath. They viewed a fetus as a living person, and they believed under the Hippocratic Oath they had every obligation to do as much for the fetus as for the woman. And guess what? Early feminists, right? Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, they were against abortion. They blamed it all on the men, but, quote, no matter what the motive, love of ease, or desire to save from suffering the unborn innocent, the woman is awfully guilty who commits the deed. It will burden her conscience in life, it will burden her soul in death. But, oh, Thrice guilty is he who drove her to the desperation which impelled her to the crime. I mean, this is stuff you don't hear about, right? And then, of course, you have Margaret Sanger, who is really an eugenics queen. I mean, she was all about, should we say, suppressing the amount of brown and black people on the planet Earth. And she is the founder of Planned Parenthood. Oh, well, let's see. Do we have any racism going here? In the early 60s, there was a children's television host. Her name was Sherry Finkbein. And this began kind of the shift in attitudes toward abortion. This was a really big deal. She found out that her fetus was going to be severely deformed at birth. She was shot down everywhere on getting an abortion. And she finally went to Sweden, where she obtained a legal abortion. But Finkbein's story was the turning point for women's reproductive rights and abortion law in the United States. In 1965, the U.S. Supreme Court, Griswold versus Connecticut, struck down one of the remaining contraception laws. There was actually laws against contraception, and they were called Comstock laws in Connecticut and Massachusetts. But they had limits. It only applied to people who were married. In 1967, Colorado became the first state to decriminalize abortion in cases of rape, incest, or in which the pregnancy would lead to permanent physical disability of the woman. Similar laws were quickly passed. California, Oregon, North Carolina. In 1970, Hawaii became the first state to legalize abortions upon the request of the woman. And New York, which of course is, you know, too much water in the ditch now, repealed its 1830 law and allowed abortions up to the 24th week of pregnancy. Same types of laws were passed in Alaska and Washington. And in 1970, Washington held the first referendum on legalized early pregnancy abortions. It was the first state, in other words, to legalize abortion through the vote of the people. 
And it was the late 60s and the early 70s when groups really started to polarize, pro-life, pro-choice, etc. Under Roe v. Wade, which is now 50 years old, state governments cannot prohibit late-term terminations of pregnancy when it's, quote, necessary to preserve the life or the health of the mother, even if it would cause harm, by the way, to a viable fetus. In 1992, that Planned Parenthood versus Casey course, the court abandoned Roe's kind of strict trimester framework, you know, the, the late-term abortions that Roe did not allow. And there was another case in 2007, Gonzalez versus Carhartt, which involved a federal law, which was entitled the Partial Birth Abortion Ban of 2003, signed by George Bush. That law banned intact dilation and extraction. In other words, basically, you're about to give birth, or you've given birth, or you're in a process given birth, and the abortion is performed at that time. The Supreme Court upheld that 2000 ban, by the way, by a 5-4 majority. And then there was another case, Whole Woman's Health versus Hellerstedt. And the Supreme Court, in a 5-3 decision, this is June 27, 2016, swept away a bunch of state restrictions on the way abortion clinics can function. This was precipitated by the Texas legislature passing a law, Too Much Water in the Ditch, in 2013. And another law, the Unborn Victims of Violence Act, which, by the way, is also known as the Lacey Act, or Connors Law. That was also signed by Bush, April 1, 2004, which allowed two charges to be filed against someone who kills a pregnant woman. In other words, a charge of murder as to the woman and a charge of murder as to the fetus. In May 2021, the Texas legislature again passed a law, the Texas Heartbeat Act. I know you've heard about it. Basically, it bans abortions as soon as cardiac activity can be detected, which sometimes is as early as six weeks in pregnancy. Many times, that's before women even know they're pregnant. And there's lots of other tangents that nobody talks about, like, you know, who's going to pay the medical costs of these procedures, which range from a low of 90 up to $1,800. They can go up to $4,500 for a late-term abortion. The Hyde Amendment, yet another congressional masterpiece, is legislation which prohibits the use of federal Medicaid funds to pay for abortions unless it's a case of rape or incest. And when we come back, we're going to finish up this fascinating history of abortion. And then I'm going to give you some really startling statistics from polls as to what Americans think about the legality, the illegality, the timing, the reasons, the causes, and the rights or privileges to abortion. It's not what you're hearing out there in the media. And this is a bunch of polls. And of course, the rest of the story. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, CEO of MyPillow. Retailers, shopping channels, and now even banks have tried to cancel myself and MyPillow. During these times, your support has meant everything to us. So my employees and I want to personally thank each and every one of you by passing the savings directly on to you. We're selling the best products ever for the best prices ever. For example, we have my towels with proprietary technology, which makes them soft and absorbent. Towels that work, what a concept. They're made with USA cotton and come in a variety of awesome colors. My six-piece towel set is regularly $109.99, now just $39.99 with your promo code. Support Mike. Support America. 
Get great stuff. Use the promo code RIGHTSIDE, R-I-G-H-T-S-I-D-E, RIGHTSIDE, or call 800-892-1083, RIGHTSIDE. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Welcome back. We're going to finish up this rather amazing history and what the public thinks about abortion and, of course, the rest of the story. Then we're going to talk about a different opinion on what's going to happen with housing values that you should at least listen to in making your decisions. And then we're going to get into our monster rat-a-tat-tat, as promised. Most of the states now, 32 states and D.C., now fund abortions through Medicaid only in the cases of rape, incest, life endangerment. But many of the states supplement or help women outside of Medicaid who are looking for abortions under those conditions or similar conditions. And then there's the question of insurance. Should insurance, you know, private health insurance pay for abortions? That's still being decided. The peak number of legal induced abortions in the United States doubled between 1973 and 1979. That peaked in 1990 and it's declined ever since then. This is really interesting. A majority of abortions are obtained by women who identify religiously. This is the Guttmacher Institute, by the way, study. More than 7 in 10 U.S. women obtaining an abortion report a religious affiliation. 37% Protestant, 28% Catholic, 7% other. 25% of those women attend religious services once a month. The abortion rate for Protestant women, 15 per thousand. Catholics, 20 per thousand. Abortion rates are highest for minority women. The rates amongst black and Hispanic women, 49 per thousand and 33 per thousand, respectively, versus 13 per thousand for white women. And now what's really interesting is what do Americans think of all this? I mean, you know, you hear all the tripe, oh, we're all against this, or we're all for this, or whatever. Too much water in the ditch, folks. May 2018 Gallup poll, 48% of Americans were pro-choice. 48% were pro-life. Ha, 50-50. 64% of the people in those poll, in that poll did not want the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade. 28% did. That same poll found that support for abortion being generally legal was 60% during the first trimester, but that dropped to 28% in the second trimester and 13% in the third trimester. 70% of college graduates support abortion being legal in all most cases. 60% of those with some college, 54% with a high school degree or less. In 2003, there was a CBS News New York Times poll. Really, really, really interesting. Overall, 39% supported abortion. 38% supported abortion being available but with stricter limits than under Roe v. Wade and not permitted at all was 22%. In other words, 60% of Americans supported either stricter or complete abolishment of abortion, I don't want to call them rights, of abortion privileges. The 2018 poll, this is a CNN USA Today Gallup poll, okay? In the first trimester, 60% of Americans thought abortion should be legal, 34% illegal. Second trimester, 28% legal, 65% illegal. And in the third trimester, 13% legal, 81% illegal. A 2021 poll by Gallup, May 3rd through 18th, 2021. I mean, that's just right behind us. Legal under any circumstances, 32%. Legal only under certain circumstances, 48%. 
illegal in all circumstances, 19%, no opinion, 2%. In other words, that was 67% of Americans thought there should be strict limitations on abortion or it should be illegal. Only 32% said, Katie, bar the door, do whatever you want. This ties in with an October 2007 CBS News poll. Permitted in all cases, 26%. Permitted but subject to greater restrictions, 16%. Only in cases such as rape, incest, or save the woman's life, 34%. Only permitted to save the woman's life, 16%. Never, 4%. In other words, once again, almost 60% opposed unfettered abortion. And really interestingly, and yet another poll, people were asked, would you support a law that would make it illegal to perform a specific abortion procedure conducted in the last six months or the second or third trimester of pregnancy, which is called partial birth abortion? 64% supported making that illegal. So it's pretty clear to see that despite all the media hype and the hysteria that you see on the TV screen, somewhere between 60 and 70% of Americans think Abortion should be very strictly limited, both as to time during the pregnancy and for reason, or should not be allowed at all. Only 30 to 35% of Americans believe if you want an abortion, you can go get it whenever you want for whatever reason you want. Really interesting. And now for the rest of the story on this abortion quagmire, the intentional quagmire. I mean, the left and mainstream media does not want you to know the facts, the background, or anything else. That's my job. The abolition, if you will, of Roe versus Wade is not a decision by the Supreme Court, despite all the wailing and the moaning and the hysterics and the mainstream media, you know, breaking down on TV. It is not a ruling on abortion. It does not make abortion legal or illegal. It does not specify any parameters for abortion. It is a constitutional ruling. Basically, what the justices have found is that there is no provision in the Constitution that goes to abortion. And moving on, the Tenth Amendment says quite clearly that anything that the federal government does not have power over in the Constitution is decisions left to the state. This ruling basically turns everything away from the federal government, who had no constitutional authority to be doing any of the crap it's been doing for the last 50 years, and gives it back to the states. Each state can decide its own parameters. It's that simple, and that's all it is. And there's going to be plenty of states that go whole hog for abortion from, you know, the time of conception to probably after delivery. You know, New York, California, Virginia, although I think that'll be turned around, Massachusetts, And there'll be plenty of states that say no abortion, and that'll be some of the red states. And then there's going to be states that say limited abortion, either limited by time or limited by need. There'll be plenty of choices for people if they want to get abortions to get abortions. And I'm not giving you my opinion on abortions one way or the other. I'm here to bring you the facts and the facts behind the facts that nobody else wants to discuss. So you have some background and you can make a rational decision. Just the fact that 60-plus percent of Americans believe abortion should be pretty severely restricted or not at all, will tell you the tripe, the hype, and the nonsense that's being fed to you every day on mainstream media and progressive Democrat Marxist mouthpieces. And that, folks, is the rest of the story. Trust me, abortion will be back. We'll be talking about this 
I don't know when, but relatively soon. Let's talk about real estate, shall we? Look, over the last several weeks, I brought you the history of the boom and bust cycles in real estate. I told you what's going on. I gave you examples of literally a $500,000 mortgage four months ago would have had like $220,000 in interest paid over its 30-year term. Now it'd be $600,000 in interest paid over its 30-year term. I brought you the facts that inventory is increasing. The days on market, the DOM, how long it takes to sell a house, is increasing. There are a number of flyers. You've seen them. You've seen the ads in the paper. You've seen them on the internet. You've seen the signs in the yards. Price reduction. Price lowered. There is another school of thought on this. Okay, I'm bringing you the ideas of Steve Jigarud. Said Jigarud, actually. Great analyst. I mean, the guy is smart. I think he has it wrong on this, but I'm going to bring you the facts because many of you listening to me are thinking about selling, thinking about moving, thinking about downsizing, thinking about buying, thinking about getting out of a blue state into a red state or whatever. So you need to have, once again, kind of like abortion, you need to have all the facts so that you can make a decision. Basically, Steve's contrarian view to a big dip coming in housing prices and values is basically that that's not going to happen. And even though, like Redfin, I talked about Redfin, the big national real estate firm laying off a bunch of employees, 8% of their staff, their demand came in at 17% less than they expected last month, which kind of means it's kind of a brutal time in real estate for some realtors. Basically, what Steve Sajigarud says is that mortgage rates, even though they're approaching a 14-year high, they've doubled this year, The housing affordability index is still over 100. Let me explain. The index looks at three ingredients, wages, home prices, interest rates. And that determines whether people can make a house payment or not, whether they can qualify for a loan. When the index is at 100, a typical American can afford a typical U.S. house. When it's at 150, they can afford 150% of that house. The index was more than 150 over the last year and a half. Today, it's gone down to 109, which is the lowest reading since 2008. New housing starts have fallen through the cellar. I mean, they were down 14% last month. And May's shortfall in new housing starts undershot expert projections by 8%. But he argues that the median existing home price went up to $407,600 in May. That's like up 40% over the last year and a half, give or take. That's a record high. And he says that falling home construction is really a tailwind for real estate assets. So his whole argument is that the U.S. just doesn't have enough housing. And he cites the National Association of Realtors. And they say we need 5.5 to 6.8 million new housing units to close this shortfall gap. And this is going to take years. I mean, your average new home construction start is somewhere between 1.1 and 1.6 million a year, depending upon how over-exuberant builders get. And what he is saying is that because this inventory is far less, millions of units less than what the American market needs, that what's really going to happen is that the rate of appreciation, which was 20.6% last year, 13% the year before, is going to slow. But he doesn't expect it to reverse. Now, his whole thing is built on inventory. I will caution you, it doesn't matter how much you need something, it doesn't matter how much you want something, if the bank will not approve you for a loan, and the owner will not carry the mortgage for you, or you don't have enough money for the down payment because of inflation, 
or stagnant wages or your other debt because you've been going into debt to buy gas and buy food is up to where the ratio, which is 25 to 35% of your income after expenses, can't be met to qualify for a mortgage or you can't qualify or can't make, you know, literally physically, financially can't make a mortgage at today's higher interest rates. You're going to either have to not buy or you're going to have to buy less. And as people don't buy, people who need to sell, for whatever reasons, a death in the family, an estate thing, they're moving, uh, you know, there's a million reasons that force people to sell their homes. They are going to lower their prices till Mr. Market talks to them and somebody comes by their house. And as they lower their prices, all the prices of all the similar houses in that particular market area are also going to come down. That's my opinion. I've given you the contrarian review. Once again, this is up to you to decide. Now, let's get into our monstrous rat-a-tat-tat. Okay, remember that all the articles I'm talking about can be viewed in detail on the website, on the right side, radio.com, under rat-a-tat-tat. You can read away in detail to your heart's content. Let's start off with gun control, because that's a big, nasty bugger. So, you know, the one gun control was passed with 15 rhino Republican senators voting for it. And now that the left has had a little taste of victory, we'll go into the details on that in another show. Now that the left has had a taste of victory, remember all those bills I told you about two weeks ago that were pending, that were up for political purposes or, you know, the scattergun effect or throw spaghetti at the wall to see what's stuck? Well, one of them is being advanced by our friend Nancy Pelosi in the House. That would outlaw 200 different rifles. I'm going to have more on this for you next week. May I suggest strongly that you write your senators and you write your congressmen or women and you tell them, vote no on gun control. Once the uh, camel's nose is under the tent, folks, he's going to rip out the stakes. Oh, yes. (laughs) So, on Monday, right before the election, the primaries there, the New York Supreme Court struck down a new New York City ordinance which would allow non-citizens to vote, which would have added 800,000 non-citizens, new voters, to the rolls. You know, they could have voted for mayor, for public advocates, city council, borough president, school boards. Oh, it's just terrific, you know. The New York State Constitution expressly states that citizens, let me emphasize that word, citizens, meeting the age and residency requirements are entitled to register and vote in elections, unquote. By the way, the U.S. Constitution is kind of the same. The New York Supreme Court, good for them, struck down this just, I mean, you know what it is. Okay, look, we're going to be facing this all over the country as you have two and a half million people, give or take, pouring across your borders for two, three, four years. That's 10 million potential voters. And the Democrats really want them to be able to pull the lever. And when we come back, folks, we're going to rat-a-tat-tat some more. If you're taking a calcium supplement, it's probably not doing what you think it is. That's because you still lose bone density with traditional calcium supplements. That's where calcium from algae comes in. Algae Cal Plus doesn't just stop bone loss. It's the only supplement ever shown to increase bone density in clinical studies. That's right. Algae Cal Plus increases bone density, even if you're in your 80s. That's because your bones need more than just calcium and vitamin D to stay strong. There are actually 13 minerals and 3 vitamins needed to build healthy new bones. And Algae Cal Plus contains all of them, and it's proudly made in the USA. Your calcium doesn't increase bone density. Algae Cal Plus does. Talk to one of our bone health consultants.
consultants today and see how Algae Cal Plus can start increasing your bone density. Call now. 800-378-3719. 800-378-3719. That's 800-378-3719. Cassidy Hutchinson. She's 25, photogenic. She worked on Trump's staff. She just gave testimony to the J6 <laughs> nonsense tribunal and said that, you know, Trump lunged for the steering wheel and the limousine to go to the Capitol and, you know, threw burgers at the wall and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Well, one problem with this. Well, two problems with this. Number one, the J6 committee just had her testimony and made sure everybody heard it. What they didn't talk about was the testimony of the Secret Service and the statement that the Secret Service gave just Wednesday saying that this is all false. Trump didn't do any of those things. My opinion of the J6 committee is, well, I'll tell you what, it's not fit to print. Oh, and by the way, even NBC's chief White House correspondent or White House correspondent, Peter Alexander, he announced that the stuff was false and that the Secret Service members who are actually in the president's van are willing to testify in addition to the committee that Cassidy's story is made up. Oh, terrific. I'm so glad we have an impartial trier of facts, even though unconstitutional. SpaceX, you know, our buddy Elon Musk, he's quite a character. I kind of like him. He fired five top employees a week ago Thursday. One day earlier, one of the employees had published an open letter criticizing him and angrily claiming his tweeting was a, quote, frequent source of distraction and embarrassment, unquote. Whoops. Bye-bye. <laughs> I guess the adults are still in charge at SpaceX. That's really good. Oh, Here's a little joke for you, except it's not a joke. There's a meme kind of making its way around social media, and it cheerfully advises, quote, heart attacks, blood clots, and strokes, question mark. That means it's working, unquote. <laughs> I'll let you figure out what they're talking about. Oh, New Jersey Representative Chris Smith has brought up a bill to force DOD to tell Congress if they're using biological experiments with ticks to weaponize ticks for biological warfare. Now, there's an interesting little sideline to this. So the first Lyme disease case in the United States, in the world, in fact, was in Lyme, Connecticut, L-Y-M-E. It just so happens that Lyme happens to be right across the water from the Plum Island Animal Disease Center, which is U.S. Biolab 257. Oh, and yeah, they were working with ticks there. Hmm. Oh, new study out. UK data, the COVID case rate is three to four times higher among those who have received a booster jab compared to the unvaccinated. By the way, this is true for all age groups in this UK study, with the exception of children under 18. Walgreens, pharma COVID injection, positivity data. If you have not been vaccinated, 22.5% positivity. If you have been vaccinated, 323 to 35.4% positivity. Hmm, another little dot in this line that we're drawing. A article by Steve Kirsch. This is going to be on the COVID page on the right side, radio.com. You should really read it. I'll give you the headline. Latest survey shows the COVID vaccines are a disaster. 750,000 dead in the U.S. 5 million people are now unable to work. The rate of heart issues is 6.6%. 2.7% are unable to work after being vaccinated. That would be about 5 million folks. 
6.3% had to be hospitalized. That's about 10 million folks. You would be more likely to die, this ties into the UK study, die from COVID if you've taken the vaccine. And almost as many, 77.4% of the households in this 5,000 person across the country survey, lost somebody from the vaccines, and that's almost as high as somebody who lost somebody that they know or they were close to from COVID. All right, this is a wild one. There's a Democratic candidate for the U.S. Senate. Her name is Crystal Matthews. <laughs> she happens to be a South Carolina state representative right now. you got to watch this video, folks. It's right under the audio bar on today's show that you're listening to, and you got to watch it. I mean, basically, she called the jail, talking to an inmate, and soliciting campaign donations from drug sales. I'm, I'm not making this up, and trying to organize sleepers to pretend to be Republicans to run for office in red counties so they could take over local offices in South Carolina. I quote, this is a quote, you need to see the video. We need to see some secret sleepers like you need. We need them to run as the other side, even though they are for our side, and we need them to win. We need people to run as Republicans in these local elections. We can battle them in public all day, as long as we know we're working for the same goal. We can wreak havoc for real from the inside out. You'll love this. And I still got to struggle to raise money for my campaign. Where the F is my black people with money? I don't care about no dope money. Give me that dope money, boy. <laughs> so where's the F and dope? Where are the duffel bag boys? Get you, find me somebody from your family that don't even know you're donating them a campaign and, and put that blank under their names. You got to watch this video. If you don't think that the Democratic progressives, the Democratic Marxist side of the Democratic Party, are corrupt, this will take care of you. Then we have Liz Cheney. <laughs> right now, she's 30 points underwater. She's trailing Hageman. And by the way, send some money to Hageman. Go to the Take Action page on the right side, radio.com. Send her some dough. We need to get rid of Cheney. I wouldn't really call her a sleeper, like Crystal Matthews was talking about, because she's openly, openly, folks, soliciting Democrats so that she can try and win the GOP primary against Hageman. <laughs> I guess she's looking for sleeper voters, you know what I'm saying? Because Wyoming lets voters switch their party by mail up to 14 days before the primary, and they can switch their party affiliation actually right at the polls. So, Wyoming, hey, home state of mine. How about closed primaries? See if you can get that done, legislature. Oh, here's another little COVID-related thing. I'll let you put two and two together. Taiwan just issued a report. Taiwan's population dynamics kind of got hit by a two-by-four in the post-jab period of May 2021 to May 2022. All-cause deaths increased 15% and births fell 23%, a 38% gap. The pandemic, the first pandemic wave of COVID in Taiwan, was not until April of 2022. So this wasn't COVID, folks. Not even close. As a side note, 80% of the folks in Taiwan, prior to COVID even hitting their shores in April of 2022, had gotten the jab. Denmark, Soren Brostrom. He's the director general of the Danish Health Authority. You know, I'm glad that some of these health guys are getting honest. He told the local media that depending on the information that has developed in 2021, it, is, it has been incorrect to generally jab children. Quote, I want to look at all parents of children who have vaccinated their child in the eye and say you did the right thing and thank you for listening. But at the same time, and this is an important thing to maintain confidence, I will admit and say that we have become wiser and we would not do the same today and we will not do it in the future. 
either. Oh, and then, you know, we got all the high mucky mucks with uh, President Cadaver and the rest of the progressive Marxists over there, Trudeau and Macron and, you know, Merkel over there in Europe. And man, they're going to really get Russia this time because so far, you know, all they've done is kind of finance this war. They have come up with a new plan to crush Russia, to put Putin in the putz hole. They are going to ban the import of, hold on to your hat, drum roll please, Russian gold. That will show them, folks. That will show them. Along the Russia lines again. So the U.S. apparently has deployed 257 nuclear-capable planes to Europe, and Russia is responding by, quote, arming Belarus's air force with nuclear-capable weapons. Terrific. I'm glad to see things are toning down over there in Europe. Then we have, oh yes, our President Cadaver. This was over at the G7. A camera got a glimpse of his cue card that his staff had prepared for him. I'm just going to read you five of the line. I'm not making this up, folks. The article is on the rat-a-tat-tat button on the rightsideradio.com. You, by the way, you is capitalized in each of these lines, so you know he would know exactly what he was reading. You enter the Roosevelt Room and say hello to participants. You take your capitalized C. You give brief comments. You thank participants. You depart. (laughs) Okay, well, this is the guy, folks, with his finger on the nuclear trigger, deciding all sorts of complex issues with our enemies around the world, negotiating with Iran, determining economic policy for the United States, and going full bore on the Green New Deal while you and I pay six, seven bucks at the gas pump. Huh. (laughs) Wow. And then along the same lines, our President Cadaver. Okay. Did I tell you about his sex police? Yeah, he has sex police. So there's this thing called Title IX, right? Title IX regulations kind of governs interaction between the sexes on college campuses. I'll make it really simple. When Cadaver was vice president, he and Obama really, really tightened those laws. So basically, if you so much as shook hands with a gal, if you were a guy, you needed permission. And I'm not exaggerating. Or you could be prosecuted and expelled and all sorts of things. And you didn't have any due process. There was one investigator. They were the judge. They were the jury. They were the investigator. They decided everything. Betsy DeVos, when she took over the Department of Education for Trump, threw all that out so that everybody had rights. You know, you got the right to cross-examine. You got the right to question your accuser. You know, there was kind of a little trial on the merits. The decision-making was taken out of one person's control and put into the hands of kind of a tribunal. Well, President Cadaver is going back to the old Obama Cadaver rules. So, folks, if you have a male in college any, or think of going to college anywhere around the United States, you tell him to keep his hands in his pockets, tape over his lips, and his eyes paperclipped. Otherwise, he could land in the podunky. This is a really concerning story for all of us, although at first you'll probably clap your hands in glee and rub them, you know, with an evil grin on your face. So there's a ruling. A Louisiana parish court has ruled that a restaurant is entitled to an insurance payout over its losses during the COVID pandemic. So far, these have all been denied in courts. The decision, think about this, could kind of open the floodgates to a wave of claims. That would be very bad news, huge bad news for the insurance industry. Think about how how much money was lost with these shutdowns, as nonsense as they were, over COVID. This is called business interruption insurance. But let's go one step further. What happens when the insurance industry starts losing money 
because of a bunch of claims about this, that, or the other. You folks who live in rural areas, you know what happens, right? Your insurance rates for your houses go up because of forest fire danger. You folks who live along water, you know what goes up. Your flood rates go up because of the increase in floods. Well, think about what's going to happen to all our insurance rates, particularly businesses for business interruption or anything along those lines, if this ruling is allowed to stand. And I'm not saying it's not right. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just giving you the economic consequences, you know, the unintended consequences of the insurance companies losing billions or trillions in claims. They're going to get the money from somewhere, folks. It's kind of like a corporation. When you raise their taxes, they simply raise their prices. Do you know what the Democrats' new idea to fight for Roe v. Wade is? (laughs) It'll make you laugh. The new thing is, is that women are supposed to withhold sex from men, including their husbands, until they... As they say in Cool Hand Luke, get their minds right. Well, we're about out of time, but you have had your huge, huge rat-a-tat-tat, and you're going to have another one next week. I could have gone on for <laughs> I could have gone on for weeks with all the stuff that's happening. One quick thing for you. Just yesterday, literally, in the last two days, huge ruling by the Supreme Court. I mean, they're knocking these rulings out of the park. Maybe bigger than Roe v. Wade. This was the shoot-down of the EPA, and therefore really all federal agencies in promulgating and making up their rules and all their nonsense and then enforcing them with made-up criminal statutes. Basically, the Supreme Court said, you are not an elected body, this is a legislative process, and agencies, you can't do this anymore. This was also a spike in the heart of cadavers' Green New Deal nonsense. This is really big. I'm going to go over this in detail with you next week. And I want you to remember that this is the 4th of July, the birthplace and the birthday of our country. When 57 men, worried sick, faced down an empire, and with shaking hands, signed a document called the Declaration of Independence. Quite the document. We're going to talk about it next week. And to their country, their new country, and to themselves, they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. We need to thank them. We need to remember. You have a great fourth, folks. A great fourth. And when the burgers are eaten and the hot dogs drip their last little piece of mustard, look in the mirror and particularly on the birthday of our great nation. Repeat with your family. I will muster. I will stand. I will not comply. I will never give in. I will never stop fighting. I will join with those in these United States and around the globe who love freedom as I do. And we will win. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. We'll talk to you next week. Please remember, if you've missed any shows, just click on Show Archive and you'll find all of his shows. We look forward to seeing you here again next week for another episode of Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side. Are you a fan of the 1883 miniseries? Then you will love its partial inspiration, Threads West, an American saga. The number one national Amazon and Barnes & Noble best-selling multi-generational epic saga of the American story in the West. Recipient of a whopping 34 national awards, including Best Historical Fiction, Best Multicultural Fiction, Best Romance, and Best Western. You will recognize the characters that live in these pages. They are you. They are us. This is not only their story, it is our story. Threads West is written 
written by Wyoming rancher Reed Lance Rosenthal. Lois Henderson, Chief AD Library Information Services, proclaims fluent and strong, sensual, evocative, and unforgettable. Compared to McMurtry's Pulitzer Prize-winning Lonesome Dove and Michener's Centennial, Rosenthal's epic masterpiece will rival even some of Louis La Amour's best-loved work, called The Gone with the Wind of the West and Sackets on Steroids. Get it now. Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, Books a Million, Kindle, Nook, Audible, or the publisher, ThreadsWestSeries.com.